Welcome to the Speak Your Way to Cash podcast, a podcast where we teach speakers how to land paid speaking engagements and corporate contracts. Each week, we deliver high-quality content that teaches you how to level up your speaking business. Be sure to join the Speak Your Way to Cash Facebook group after having your mind blown by this information-filled episode. Now, here's your host, Ashley Kirkwood, lawyer and professional speaker. This is the Speak Your Way to Cash podcast. Hello, hello, hello. It's Ashley Kirkwood with the Speak Your Way to Cash podcast. I'm so excited to have today Chris, which is also my husband's name, <laughs> Chris Widener. And I'm, am I saying that correctly? It is correct. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Well, we're so glad to have you. And for those of you who don't know, Chris will tell us a little bit about his background, but he's in the Motivational Speakers Hall of Fame, one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 speakers, named one of the top 50 speakers in the world. So I am just thrilled and excited about him being here and sharing with us what he's learned throughout his very vast speaking journey. So welcome to Speak Your Way to Cash. Thanks for having me, Ashley. I appreciate it. Of course. So tell us a little bit about how you entered the professional speaking world. Well, I'll give you as short as I possibly can. I had a crazy upbringing. Uh, My dad died when I was four, 28 homes, 11 different schools, shipped off to live with relatives twice, once in the fourth grade, once in the ninth grade, started drugs in the fifth and sixth grade. By the time I was in the eighth grade, I was smoking opium. I made most of my money growing up, betting the horses at Long Acres Horse Track and scalping tickets outside the kingdom for Mariners and Seahawks games. So uh, born and raised in Seattle. So crazy, crazy upbringing. Had a transformational moment the summer before my senior year of high school where I decided to stop going that direction and start going that direction because I realized I was about to become an adult. So ended up eking my way out of high school. Zig Ziglar always says that he was in the top, uh, he was in the half of the class that made the top half possible. I was in the 10th that made the top 90% possible. Uh, I graduated 149th out of 172 people in my class. I went to a college whose primary uh, condition for getting in is that the check cleared. So I got in there. I got myself a degree uh, to work with youth and and family and to help at-risk kids like I was. And I started speaking right out of college to high schools, summer camps, colleges, Etc. And then as I got older, my audiences got older, and then that transitioned. And, and then in the early 2000s, I had just some great doors opened when I began to work with John Maxwell first, and then spent the last seven years of Jim Rohn's life working with him and, and a TV show with Zig Ziglar. So those really helped, and that's really what catapulted my career quite a bit, say 2002 to 2007. Nice, nice. And so when you first got started, did you start your speaking career underneath one of those programs? So did you license out like the Maxwell training or did you kind of just do it on your own and start pitching? How did you get your start? Well, you know, what's funny is, is there were none of those certifications back then. I mean, there, there were none. But young young folks like you, you just figure they're, they've always been there, right? Because they're everywhere now. Everybody has their certification. There were none. In fact, I think John was probably the first one to actually do it. I don't even know when he started seven, eight, nine years ago. So no, I was on my own. I was giving uh, speeches. My first paid speech I ever gave was in uh, the Pocono Mountains to a youth retreat, and they wanted me to speak on self-esteem. And I said, nobody's going to come to a speech called Improve Your Self-Esteem. No teenagers are. So I said, why don't we rename it? If you let me rename it, then I'll do it. They said, okay. And I named it How to Feel Good About Yourself, Even with a Zit in the Middle of Your Forehead. That was the title of my speech. And uh, they paid me $500 for it. And the funny thing, this was like 19... 89. And then I showed up and I never get zits. I never struggled with acne, nothing. But God has a sense of humor. And that day, 
I had one right in the middle of my forehead. <laughs> like a third eyeball. First paid speech I ever gave was called uh, How to Feel Good About Yourself Even with a Zit in the Middle of Your Forehead. That is amazing. Yeah. So do you, because I know you've been doing this a while and sometimes it's hard to remember those early stages, but I know you also coach speakers. So you probably talk about this a lot. When you first started your career, at what point did you systematize your speaking career? So at what point did you figure out, okay, this is how I need to prospect. This is what I need to do. This is the system that I'm going to implement to reach my actual goals. Yeah, that was like um, 95, 96. I hired a coach. I'd heard of a thing called the National Speakers Association. I joined. I was a member there and I hung out with some of those people. I started out in the local. I don't think I joined the national till late 90s. But there was a guy who was a, a coach and he was primarily a marketing coach for speakers. And I hired him. I paid him $7,500 for a year back in 1996, 97. And I spent a year with him, two phone calls a month. And he taught me the business because I really didn't know the business. I was just diving in. That's what I was doing. It was sink or swim for me. And so I didn't know what I was doing, but I was aggressive. And I was good at what I did, so that helped, but aggressive and hardworking, and that's how I built it. Nice. And so at what point did you make it your own? And what was the thing that you started doing on a consistent basis that helped you to consistently get clients? Do you remember? The number one thing that I did. Now, again, this is, you're too young to remember the beginning of the internet. Obviously, the internet was invented, I think, in the 60s, technically, but Americans started using it in the mid-90s. And the, the problem was, was that everybody had a website, but nobody had content. So I decided that I was going to produce content. And I wrote about 450 articles on a wide variety of anything that falls under success, business, leadership, motivation, anything like that. And I just let anybody that wanted them to use them, they were on my website and I said, use away. All you have to do, you don't even have to ask permission, just grab it. The only thing you have to do is you have to leave this little box in. And it was, you know, to subscribe to Chris's newsletter, do this, to hire Chris to speak, do that. And uh, by 97, 98, I had 100,000 people on my own newsletter and uh, my email newsletter. And that was the primary thing that I did. Content, 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 which is, but it was for websites. What's interesting now is arguably one of the most in-demand speakers today is Gary Vee. And what does Gary Vee say? Content, content, content. content. Yeah. So many people have sort of called me the content king because, you know, I, I was not only written my own 450 articles, I've got my 22nd book coming out in November. I sold, uh, oh, anywhere between 50 to 75,000 boxes a month of audio programs through Costco and Sam's Club for about five years while I was ghostwriting for John Maxwell and uh, working, writing Jim Rohn's last book and producing my own television show as well as the Ziggs television show. So I've always been a content guy. I don't think you can do anything better than just provide really great content. So is that your recommendation today? The same strategy you use then is what you recommend now, put out content and have people coming to you affirmatively versus out like pitching. Well, I do both. I do both. You know, we do content and we do reaching out to people. I have a LinkedIn strategy, a couple LinkedIn strategies that will solve almost anybody's problems in terms of getting speeches and making connections and those kinds of things. But yeah, I mean, content, you know, and, and the beauty of it is, is with Facebook, you know, when I wanted to do a, a web page back in the 90s, you had to spend a bunch of money. Now right. you get onto Facebook, if you don't have any money, you can get onto Facebook, start a page and start producing content literally within 15 mm. minutes. And you'll have a professionally designed website. I mean, it'll still be Facebook, but it'll be a professionally designed website. You can advertise to find people to come and be your fans and start selling them things. And it's easier now than ever to produce content. Yeah, definitely. And so for LinkedIn, because I know one of the things I use a tool called Connected and I'm connecting with people daily and it helps 
helps me to really strategize and manage all the connections that I'm making and ensure that I'm connecting with the right folks and really get granular about how I'm connecting and strategizing on that. But some folks are asking, like, what are your LinkedIn strategies? What do you do on LinkedIn? Because I know there are, one, a lot of folks maybe should wait to reach out to people on LinkedIn until they have a LinkedIn page that exhibits what they do. <laughs> and, and a promo video. I mean, you, you need to have some other stuff, right? But again, yeah. promo videos are, are easier now than ever before and cheaper now than ever before. But I'll give you a couple of LinkedIn strategies. And seriously, I should charge for this because I'm telling you, this is so good and we utilize it. So I'll give you two. First of all, I would recommend if you want to get started, if you're in the beginning stages, focus on associations. And the beauty of it is there's 100,000 associations in America, plus all of their local chapters, regional chapters, state chapters, and they're always looking for people to speak. So here's what I would do. Go on to LinkedIn and type in whatever state you're in. Just start local. Let's say you're in Colorado. I would type in Colorado Association Executive Director. Colorado Association Executive Director. It's going to pull them all up. I want you to use a couple of different ways to filter. First thing you're going to do is you're going to filter to second connections. That's the only people you want to show is second connections. First connections, you're already connected. Third connections, it might be too far. So second connections. And then you want to choose current job is another one. And you want to make sure that executive director is their current job not something from their past that turned up in the search results. And you will find hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And all I do is just hit the connect button and you can write a little connection if you want. Sometimes, you know, it always pops up and says, you know, people are more likely to accept if you do this, you know, write them a little note saying, hey, I'd love to connect with you. And then what you do is, is the next day, you do that every day, connect like 20 people, 50 people, however much time you want to spend every day. Then the next day, go into your LinkedIn, click on my network. And when you click on my network, it's going to show you everybody in your network. And the beauty about what LinkedIn does is it shows you the first, the last people you connected with at the top. So just scroll down and go, oh, I remember I connected with her yesterday. I connected with him yesterday. I connected with him two days ago. And then you write them a note. And all it says is this. Thank you so much for connecting. I really appreciate it. I have a quick question. Do you ever bring in outside speakers to your in-person or virtual events? Period. It's all you do. Thank you for connecting. I really appreciate it. Quick question. Do you ever bring in outside speakers to your virtual or in-person events? and you're done. Hit send. They're going to write back and they're going to say one of a few things. No, we don't. Okay, thank you. If you ever do, please keep me in mind. If they write back and say, we absolutely do, then you write back and say, what would it require for me to be considered for your next event? Or they might write back and say, we do, but I'm not in charge of it, at which point you say, can you introduce that person, right? That works flawlessly. I'll tell you another little strategy that I use. I call it the influence ladder. The higher you get in a corporation, the easier it is for them to make the decision to hire you. You, A low-level person's got to talk to a bunch of people. She's got to talk to her boss. He's got to talk to his team. You know, he's got everything. The CEO can just go hire him and you're done. And they go, okay, who do we make the checkout to, right? So you want to get as high as you can. So what you do is, let's say AT&T. I I did a big, actually, I did two gigs back-to-back for AT&T, full fee in both. And I started out by going very low level. So you go into LinkedIn and you search AT&T. You could, you could probably say AT&T cell phone store manager. And then what you want to do is you want to connect with like 10 or 15 of them. And then you want to go to, you want to go back in once you've got 10 or 15 AT&T contacts, you go back in and you search for AT&T regional manager. And then you connect with 10 or 15 of them. What are they going to do? They're going to see that you've already connected with 10 or 15 AT&T people and their instant reaction is going to be, oh, he must do something with AT&T. So yes, and you accept. Now you go to, you know, executive vice president, 
senior vice president. And um, I did this, uh, I guess I spoke in March of 2019. So it must have been uh, late 2018 when I did this. I connected with a senior vice president and I said, do you? I connected with her and I literally said, thank you for connecting. I really appreciate it. Quick question. Do you ever bring in outside speakers to your events? It wasn't virtual at that point. So I just said to your events, she said, we absolutely do. I'm going to forward your name to somebody. And a couple months later, I got a phone call and it said, we were told that we're supposed to hire you for your for our event. Are you available? And I said, yes. And they said, great, we'll send you a contract. And that's because I got to a high enough level that that woman just said, hire this guy for our next event. And everybody said, okay, done deal. I didn't negotiate. They they didn't put it out for bid, nothing. So if you get to the high enough level and the way you get to the high level is that I call it the influence ladder. You got to keep moving your influence up. And it's it's a relatively easy thing to do. It takes you a little while. It might take you a month to go from, you know, lower level folks to the high level folks, you know, to just process all, giving them time to respond and all that. But those are two great techniques that really, really work. Yeah, no, definitely. Those are excellent techniques. And I know you've written a ton of books. Do you have any books that cover some of the strategies that you're talking about now, or are most of your books focused on leadership for your corporate audience? I've never written a book on how to be a speaker. I have a, a speaker's academy on YouTube that's free. I used to charge you know, for it, but when the pandemic hit, I was like, I'm just going to give this away. There are a lot of people hurt and they need the information. So I turned it loose on YouTube, but I've never written a book on speaking. I've actually talked to my publisher about taking the interviews that I did for the speaker's academy and putting them into a book. But at this point, no necessarily... Uh, the idea to do a book on speaking. Okay, awesome. And you mentioned that you have, that the AT&T paid your full rate. So I have two questions that popped in my head when you said that. One is relevant to AT&T. When you're doing the influence ladder, do you have a strategy for how to connect with who you're connecting with or which companies you're targeting? I know some speakers target middle market companies, others stick to the Fortune 1000, others are looking at those mid to small businesses. What would you recommend for a new speaker? Most of our audience is just starting out and some are trying to scale. They've been having trouble getting it consistent. Where should they be focusing their efforts in terms of narrowing down the corporate audience that they're targeting? I think it's actually easier for lower fee speakers because they can approach anybody. You know, a higher fee speaker is not going to, you know, a high fee speaker is not going to get, you know, let's say there's 15, I don't know, um, urgent care centers in your town and one guy owns them all, he's not going to pay a a $30,000 fee to somebody to come into their corporate retreat, right? But he's going to pay anywhere probably between $2,500 and $10,000 maybe. And so if you have a high fee, you kind of have to go to the businesses that you know are doing hundreds of millions or billions of dollars where they don't really blink at a $30,000 or a $20,000 fee, uh, which makes it more difficult actually for the higher paid speakers to get those gigs. So The lower the fee that you have, the easier it actually is. And you can do a lot of regional stuff, regional things that people can do. Yeah. And when you say high fee and low fee to people who are just starting, they're like, I don't know what's high or low. A thousand dollars may be high to me. How are you separating those? Well, I think probably the average speaker in America is probably, you know, the full time professional speaker is probably getting about seventy five hundred dollars a speech. I think that if you have a few books out and you've got some popularity and you're really good, you can move into the twelve five, the fifteen thousand probably would be the high end of that once you've established some really good you know, good stuff and built a good name for yourself. Um, It's kind of like a resume in a regular business, right? You know, when you start out, you start out slinging burgers, right? You know, you don't, you don't get a job as a surgeon somewhere. You you slinging burgers, making minimum wage. Then you get school. Okay, now I'm a college graduate. So I'm 
know, entry level in the corporate job. So you're not going to pull 250 a year right out of college. You're going to, you know, 45 grand or something like that. And so, you know, it's a little bit like that. You really have to build your resume. And I chose to raise my fee every time I added something significant to my resume. And then sometimes, sometimes, I mean, that, this is the crazy thing about speaking. There's no cost of goods. If I'm in the jeans business and I buy my jeans for $20 for my wholesalers, I can't sell them for less than $20. I have to sell them for you know, anywhere probably 20 to $60 or something like that. Well, with speaking, there's no cost of goods. So a little bit of this is just how much you have the ego to say, this is how much I charge. And a lot of people just don't feel comfortable saying bigger numbers. But I'll tell you, when I first hired my speaking coach, I was charging $1,500 a speech. This was 96 or whatever. And he said, send me a video cassette of you speaking. So I did. Video cassette. You don't even know what that is, do you? Ash? <laughs> I know what that is. <laughs> so that's how old this was. Video cassette. And so um, VHS. And so he watched it. He called me on the phone. He said, man, you are great. You are one of the best speakers I've ever seen. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, now here's what you need to understand. And I'm like, what's that? And he goes, it doesn't matter. The people who are going to get the business are the best marketers. Yeah. They're not the best speakers. And so that was one good lesson. But he also said, we also have to fix your fee. And I said, oh, am I, am I too high? And he says, no, you're too low. So well, what do you mean too low? And he said, people gauge what they think they're going to get based on how much they pay. I mean, if you go to, if you go to Sizzler, you're never going to pay $45 for a steak because you're just like the steak at Sizzler isn't a $45 steak. If you even go to Outback, which is, you know, a step up, it's like, man, I'm probably not going to pay 40. I go there maybe once, twice a year. I think they're 28 to $30, right? But if you go to Ruth's Chris, you don't expect to see a $30 steak on the menu. Everything's going to be no. 50, 55, but you expect it to be better. Yeah. And so I think that there's some similarities to the speaking business. You got to be good. And the better you are, the more you can charge if you're, you know, if you're willing to say the words out loud. And a lot of people, their self-esteem doesn't match their speaking capabilities. So he doubled me to 3000 and, uh, and I got nobody blinked. And then I'll tell you another quick story. I was at 4,500 a few years later, a couple of years later, a woman called me up. She said, my boss told me that I'm supposed to hire you. You're the last speaker available uh, or you're the last slot available. And he read an article and he says, you need to come and speak at our event. I said, okay, great. She said, what do you charge? I said, well, I charge $4,500. And she said, well, if I pay you six, can I pay you six? And I said, yeah, you you could pay me six. That'd be great. Why, why do you want to pay me more than what I offered it for? And here's a little trick and a little insight for those just learning the speaking business. I'll give you a moment to think, why did she offer me more than I uh, suggested or quoted her combined with the fact that she said I was the last speaker they needed to get? Here's why. Budget. Budget. She had $6,000 left in her budget and she needed to spend it because if she doesn't spend it, the boss comes back next year and says, why do you need this much money? You got it yep. cheaper left here. So yep. that's a great little thing to understand is that oftentimes these folks are operating out of budgets. And so from that moment forward, I was a $6,000 speaker, never went back to 4,500. <laughs> so sometimes you just change because somebody offered you more and you're like, well, they're willing to pay it. Somebody else probably won. Yeah. And someone commented budget, question mark, question mark, question mark. There are certain organizations. I mean, this is actually common in the nonprofit space as well. So when you think about businesses in terms of quarters, there are certain industries that have to spend the rest of their budget for that year. Think about grant money that it happens for a uh, profitable, like not just nonprofits, but if you think about a nonprofit, they get grant money. And if they don't spend all of that money, then when they go up for that money next year, then they may not get that entire budget. And so with yeah. corporations, it's very similar. If I'm the director of marketing and I give my assistant director 20 grand to spend on an event and they only spend 10 next year, 
they're going to cut that money and put it somewhere that was at a deficit. So sometimes we're thinking, you know, oh, we got to go low to get to get hired. No, that's not the case. And for you all who are just learning the industry, another thing to consider is colleges and, and universities, private and public also can hear your speaking fee and go get a grant for that specific amount of money. So if well, you- and here's the other thing, Ashley. Some of these big colleges have giant budgets. I mean, you get into a large state university where every student is paying $1,000 a year in student fees and you've got 60,000 people. 60,000 kids at $1,000 a piece is $60 million budget. And that's where the speaking fees come from. They come from that student fees budget. And uh, let's say one organization offers you to do something and you come back and you quote something. They just go to student government and they say, we'd like the money from student government. And then they'll give you the money. Let's say you, let's say it's a fraternity putting on a fundraiser and you only have five, but the person you want to bring in is 10. You can go to student government and they'll dump five grand into your pocket and and co-partner with you. So college and university some of the bigger ones have a lot of money. Yeah, that's very true. And we just did our Speak Your Way to Cash live event 2020. And two of my clients from the University of Tennessee came on and explained that entire system and said that they may have a small budget, but what they considered small was a quarter of a million dollars. So when you think of like small budgets, it's very different and it helps to hear it from the client. But he explained that exact same thing. It comes from the student activity fees. That's how you can determine the budget. Plus you have the parent school, you have the sister schools. You got to think about that. But he also talked about the ways in which these universities can collaborate to even bring you to the area. And so we sit here and think like, oh, well, I don't know if I could charge five grand or if I could charge 10 grand. When in reality, they easily have, he talked about, you know, averages that he pays, but he was like, like, yeah, we have speakers that come 15, 25,000, but for that rate, we may want three speeches in a day. But if you're going there anyways, it really doesn't matter. I mean, you can't do, unless you're doing a tour, for the most part, if I go speak in Tennessee, I'm in Tennessee for at least 48 hours. So it doesn't really, it doesn't hurt to do multiple engagements. You know, since we're talking about budgets, let me just twist a little bit and tell you another little tip for budgets. Yeah. And you're probably familiar with that as well. But um, I was asked to speak for U.S. Health back in the Gaylord Hotel in Washington, D.C. It's across the Potomac. And my fee at the time was 15000 This was probably 2007. And they said, well, we only have 10000 And I said, okay, do you have an education budget? How about if I put together a pack of four books of how many people are coming? 400. I said, okay, how about four books? times 400, and I'll charge you $20 each for each of the four books. So $20 for each person times 400. So let's do the math. And they agreed to that. They said, oh, that's fantastic. They'd love your book. So I got paid 10 for speaking. I sold uh, 1,600 books at, well, I got $20 times four, so $8,000. So they paid me $8,000 for those 1,600 books. So now I'm at $18,000 I build, but I've got the cost of goods for the books. Well, my books are about a buck a piece. They're, they're paperbacks. I buy them you know, from the publisher, buck a piece. 1,600 books times a buck is $1,600. So they paid me 10. They paid me eight for the books. They backed out 1,600 for my cost of goods. That left me at 6,400 from the 8,000. So what happened? They paid me $16,400 for a speech they could have paid me $15,000 for. If they would have just paid me $15,000, they'd have been in business and they'd have saved, but they were locked into budget. I've only got $10,000 for the speaker. And then, well, do you have an education budget? Oh, we've got a ton. Okay, well, then let's tap into that budget. For those of you that do training, you might say, okay, well, that's great. You have a training budget. And they say, yeah, we do ongoing training. Well, how about if I do the 
you know, the fee for the speaking, the keynote, and then we back end it with three training sessions where I come in each quarter afterwards or something like that. Now you can get that money out of that business because you're just tapping into a different budget. Yep. And this is all about positioning and packaging. So for those of you who are listening, I think that there's a lot of takeaways from this conversation already, but what you really want to think about is how can you partner with your client to get them the result that they want? At the point that you're talking about budget, that is to me the most insignificant piece of the conversation. We've already established you want me to come. We've already established your, your, your people would get value out of my content. So now we just have to figure out where the money is going to come from to pay for it. And the way that you phrase these conversations, because a lot of our speakers, I think from people that I work with, they get hung up on the language. They're like, well, what do I say? The way that I typically phrase this conversation is what a lot of my clients or what some of my clients have done in the past that has worked is X, Y, and Z. Will that work for you? And then they can think through it because you're the expert. Like, I think that we get caught up in oh, they're giving us an opportunity to speak. No, we're providing a level of expertise that they don't have to worry about. There are a lot of bad speakers out there. They don't have to worry about that with you. If you're good, you're vetted, you already have your systems. We have assistants, graphic designers. We can handle all of that. So they're getting a huge service. So now we just are just trying to figure out how do we make it work so that I'm not working for free. Hey guys, I wanna come in really quickly and tell you all about the Speak Your Way to Cash course. This course is for speakers who are looking to consistently book paid speaking engagements. In short, if you are ready to speak your way to cash, this is the course you need. There are over 17 modules, you heard that right, 17, that cover getting clarity in your speaking career, branding through the press, a seven-figure sales panel, selecting your niche and finding engagement, selling your signature speech and building it out, onboarding and offboarding clients, implementation and taking it to the next level. And then let me tell you about the 10 bonus trainings that encompass the 17 trainings that you're gonna get. The bonus trainings cover things like branding as a speaker, the best tools for finding engagements, determining whether a topic is viable, speech writing for success, speaking techniques, self-publishing for speakers, sales success, landing association and college clients, navigating the conference market, and so much more. You even get the exact pitch templates that I use to land college clients over and over again and the press pitch templates that I use. So look, you can get this course by going to ashleynicolekirkwood.com slash S-Y-W-T-C course. ashleynicolekirkwood.com slash S-Y-W-T-C course. Or just enter Ashley Kirkwood Speak Your Way to Cash course in Google and it should come right up. Thanks guys for listening. Let's get back to this interview. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you just got to figure out where the money's going to come from. And I I love a story I heard once. um, Somebody, I think it was a a monk of some sort, and he had a vision to build this big monastery. And it was quite expensive. And somebody came to him and said, you know, monk, where are you going to get there? Where's the money going to come from? And he said, from wherever it is right now. And I've always loved that. I love that story. It's like, I don't know where it's going to come from, but it's there. I just need to bring it into my life. (laughs) You know, if you you think about it, you know, the companies that you're going to be dealing with have the money. It's just finding it and creating access to it for yourself. You need to get a little bit creative. But here's another phrase that I teach uh, folks that I work with, especially when you're kind of getting close, but they don't know and you know you're going to do the gig anyway. Like, let's say your fee is 12.5 and they're offering you 10 and they don't have any other budget. Here's what I tell people. I say, look, I sort of partner with them. It's a phrase that creates a partnership feel, says, look, I want to come and speak for you. I'm going to make this work. 
I'm going to make it work because I really like you. You're a new customer to me. I think there's going to be a lot of potential down the road. So I, you know, as a matter of just creating relationship, I want to let you know that I'll, I'll make this work and I'll do my best for you. But what I'm going to ask you to do is I want you to do your best for me. So why don't you go back, try to find, you know, some budget somewhere, try to find a sponsor, you know, sometimes, especially with associations, they don't have $5,000 to pay you to come give a lunch, but there's some vendor that's going to be at the event who would love to pay $5,000 to, to, to you for your fee if they get to get up on stage before you and the CEO gets to introduce you and they maybe have some slides running in the background in the, in the run up to your speech, you know, they'll, they'll do that. So you just got to find it. But I have taught that to a lot of people and they all come back to me and go, people are just astounded when I say that to them. I'll do my best for you. I'm just going to ask you to do your best for me and let's get this done so it's a mutually beneficial relationship. And I can't tell you how many times people have said, I really am so, it takes the pressure off to know that you're going to we're going to make this work. And now I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to try and find that extra money and make it as good for you as we can. Yep. I love that. That is beautiful language. And I love when we have folks on here who give language, because I really think that people would have more confidence if they knew what to say, which is why what you said is so important. Like you hired a coach. Coaching is valuable. And I, at this point, I hire, I have so many, I have like a nutritional coach, sales coach. Like I just want to make sure I'm thinking about things correctly. And I hire coaches for ideas. So if you are someone who has outstanding ideas, I'm hiring you because I want to get the absolute best ideas possible so that I can go on and execute. But one of the things I'm wondering, because you've worked with giants in the industry, Zig Ziglar, John Maxwell, done some ghostwriting for them. One of the things that I teach, um, because I'm also a trademark attorney, so I own a law firm as well. So I negotiate quite a few licensing contracts. Do you license your programs to corporations? And how did you get into licensing, if so? I used to, but I haven't done it in probably 15 years or so. I pretty much am a keynote speaker. I do high-end coaching programs for people. I have uh, year-long masterminds that I run. And then I usually produce a book every you know year, year and a half. I have a ton of audio programs. I mean, if you go to Amazon and type my name in, it's just going to be page after page after page. And so I have a lot of royalties that come in every month and, and those kinds of things. And so it's a different business strategy, but I know a lot of people have made a lot of money doing licensing to corporations. I think guys like Randy Pennington, a friend of mine, and I think uh, Tony Alessandra made a fortune doing that. I think he licensed assessments to corporations. You know, So a lot of different people making a lot of money doing that. How did you determine your business model? So when did you know, okay, there's so many ways you can make money as a speaker. I could coach, I could do this. Like you said, you get, you write a ton of books. I don't want to glide past the fact that you've written over 20 books, but how did you settle on the model that you have now? And what considerations should speakers be thinking about when figuring out where will their place be in the speaking industry. By the way, shameless plug, my next book is coming out. It's on pre-order on Amazon right now. What's the name of it? It's called Lasting Impact, How to Create a Life and Business that Lives Beyond You. So you asked me, how did I decide on it? I'm lazy. I thought if I got really, 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 really good at keynotes, that's what pays the most for the least amount of work. And I kid you not, that's why I was like, I hate this half-day training stuff, this full-day training stuff, like eight hours a day. And it doesn't even, the weird thing about our industry is, is, is you know, like a half day is like 2,500, a full day is like 4,000, and your keynote 6,000. And it's like 45 minutes. I, I, don't, I don't understand that. I've never understood it. So I'm just like, I'm going to get really good at talking for 45 minutes and just make it as good as it can possibly get and then just book keynotes 
And then, you know, in order to have a keynote business, you have to create the public image of it, which requires a lot of books and, and things like that, hitting bestseller lists and things like that, social proof, building big lists on Facebook. And so that's been my primary model. The most money I made was when I licensed those hundreds and hundreds of audio programs from other speakers and sold them through Costco and Sands Club. In fact, you'll see some of them when you type my name into Amazon, you'll see some of those collections. But like I said, we were selling 50 to 75,000 boxes a month of other people's stuff. But my name was on the cover of every single one of them. So I built a lot of brand recognition that way as well. And then I've done a lot with Facebook pages. I've built million person Facebook pages. I had a million person Facebook page I was making $100,000 a month on and spending less than 10 minutes a month on it. And so big groups of people collecting big groups of people. So and probably in the speaking world, it's funny because a lot of people there's call themselves the Facebook experts. And I'm like, well, how many people, you know, and they're like, oh, I've got 30,000 people on a Facebook page. Well, call me when you've got a million people and you're making a hundred grand a month in less than 10 minutes a month. So uh, I've gotten very, very good at building Facebook pages. Uh, Was it your personal page? It was an interest page, but the interest page also allowed me to brand myself to it. So anybody could create, so it doesn't have to be Joe Schmo. It could be, you know, extraordinary leadership with Joe Schmo or something like that, right? So what I did was I built an interest page and then I was the face of it. And then that created more cachet for me in the marketplace. Where did the revenue come from for the page? Were you selling things on the page or running ads to the page or how was that working? So what I did was I created a website to drive people to and then I found other people who were interested in the hobby, or, you know, in the in the interest page. And I found like 15 writers and then people who wanted to write. And I said, I gave them access to our page so they could post their articles. I mean, I vetted them first. So you can put something crazy up there. And they would create articles. They'd put them on. And then I had some guys that ran the entire thing for me. I gave them I gave them 15% of the ad revenue to run the entire thing. I did literally nothing. I spent less than 10 minutes a month on it. I found these two young guys. They took 15% of the ad revenue. And then my partner and I split what was left. And so I would pay these folks uh, $1.50 for every thousand views they, they got. But I had writers that were making $4,000 to $11,000 a month writing for me. Well, we pay them $1.50 per thousand. We get $8.50 per thousand. And then we would just take their articles and we'd post them to the Facebook page. We posted 48 times a day, every half hour on the half hour. And we were getting over 20 million page views a month. We tied into all the different ad networks that created the ad revenue. We never did. All that money was just ad revenue. And so the way the ad revenue worked, when we had a million people, the low end would be about 80000 for a month. The high end would be about 110000 a month. So let's take a look at the ROI on that. It cost me $0.20 cents to go get a fan, right? So I ran ads constantly, become a fan of our page. And I was paying $0.20 cents a fan. Well, at 80000 to $110,000 on a million people, that equals $0.08 cents to $0.11 cents per fan per month. So at worst, it took me two and a half months to make my money back that I spent on the 20 cents, right? But if I was making 80000 a month, it would have taken me two and a half months to get my 20 cents back that I spent on those fans. At 11 cents per, it took me about 1.7 months to get the money back. And I just generated, generated, generated. You know, when COVID hit, I started a, um, a membership site, $9 a month. Again, around an interest with a partner friend of mine. He's like, hey, do you want to do this? And I'm like, sure. And it wasn't really something I was, you know, doing a lot of. And so we started out, we each threw $250 in the pot. And over the last six months, we've put 3,800 people into that never spending 
a nickel more than the $250 we put in. So we both put in $250, we sold like $700 worth, we took $700, put it back in, sold like $1,000 worth, we took $1,000. And at one point, we were spending $1,200 a day in ad, in, in ad spend on Facebook, but 1,200 people, we book about $1,400, and then we just plowed it back in, and now we've got 3,700 people paying us $9 a month, which nice. is about $30,000 a month. Nice. Okay, awesome. Well, that is a huge detour, but very, yeah, very interesting. <laughs> no, that's very, very interesting. And I think I like what you said about when you were choosing which path you were going to take. It was really about how much work you wanted to do. And that is why I like the licensing avenue because you're really, I mean, people, they're always shocked by this. But when I'm having licensing conversations, it's like they're going to license this one training. They're going to pay every single year. The training is an hour and a half. I customize it to the company. Yep. And they're paying fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year for that, and so that is not a lot of work <laughs> necessarily. It's residual. It's really about residual. And the problem with I mean, what we're talking about is residual. Mine is a little bit different, but it's residual. Yep. We're talking about making residual income, and that's where most speakers fail. In fact, yep. um, you know, we're going to see eighty percent of the speakers in our industry will not be speaking next year. They're going to be gone. They got wiped out. I mean, there's people that were making two hundred plus thousand dollars a year last year, and now they're driving Uber. Because wow. they, they don't have anything else. They have no royalties. They have no book sales. They have no courses. They have no nothing. And they so, have no assets, no intellectual no property, assets. people. <laughs> you can see up there, these are just some of them right there. You know, those are all my audio programs across there. And the books are all down there. And they all just keep selling. And, you know, and that's where you make your money. Yep, absolutely. And then, you know, it's interesting to me because speakers are, we're so fluid when we're creating. Every single speech could turn into an entire program. It could turn into an entire book, all your framework. And it should. It should. Here's, here's what I tell people. The same material pays you differently based on what form you give it to the public. So, for example, I wrote a book with Jim Rohn called 12 Pillars of Success. 12 Pillars is what it's called. And it was Jim's last book. If I wrote an article about 12 Pillars, I would make nothing. Somebody would run it. I'd make nothing. If I wrote a book, I'd make, well, we sell it for nine or 10. I, I make a dollar, a dollar, dollar 50 off of every book we sell, right? Mm -hmm. Not a lot. Yeah. And then I've got an audio program, that one right there. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, it's, oh yeah, it's the one right there on the far, just as it cuts off the screen. That's the 12 okay. pillar. We sell that, I think, for $65, $75. And, and I make you know money off of that. When I sell it myself, I make all of it. When my publisher sells it, I make a, a portion of it. So now we're at 65 If I, if I do a half-day training on it, it's going to be 7500 If I do a you know a full-day training on it, it's going to be 15000 If I do a keynote on it, it's going to be 30000 It's all the same information, though. Then, you know, and, and I just haven't done it with 12 pillars, but you could do a video course on it where you could take each of you do a video on each of the 12 pillars. And so it's using your information across a multitude of various ways in which to distribute it to to the audience and then making sure that you're hitting all those channels because different people want to consume your information in different ways. Yeah, that's genius. And that is the game. And so when you look at the speaking industry, the numbers that I saw last were like less than or maybe around 10 percent of speakers make over the six-figure mark and only 1% are over the seven-figure mark, but all the speakers who are in that seven-figure realm have residual income. They have multiple streams. It's not just me getting on stage that one time and being paid once. It's about the back-end product that are able to carry you on when things like a pandemic hit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why the pandemic is wiping people out because they their speaking business was I make money when somebody pays me to show up and give speeches. And when nobody's yep. showing up to give speeches, nobody's getting paid and therefore your income is gone. Yep. 
Definitely. I mean, the pivot is necessary. <laughs> the pivot you know, is- I speak to a lot of network marketing companies because my um, you know, my relationship with Jim Rohn, he was huge in the network marketing industry. And uh, what happened was as soon as we went into lockdown, companies were adding tens of thousands of people just jumping over to start some network marketing business selling something. And, uh, you know, the, the whole pivot, and these weren't necessarily speakers, they were everybody, everybody had to find mm-hmm. something else. Well, speakers need to find some way to keep making their money, even when they're not out speaking. 100%. 100%. So I have a final question and then we want to learn more about where we can connect with you, how we can stay connected. What are the prospecting tips you would give for today? A lot of companies have pivoted to virtual. People are trying to figure out, well, what do I need to do? What should I be doing on the daily right now in 2020 to continue to build and grow my business? What would be that one prospecting tip that you would give to the folks listening in? I would say do the LinkedIn strategy that I told you. And then the other thing you can do is you can order this association. It's the, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's the professional trade organization handbook or something. And it's like a thousand dollars a year. If you're a member of like NSA or something like that, it's like 350 a year, but you can go in there, log in, to, once you license it, you can log in and it's a database of like 250,000 people in the trade and you know association business. And so, for example, for me, when we licensed that, we just dove in and we searched for the word leadership. And leadership then created like 500 different associations that had the word leadership. Then we just typed in management. And then we found out there was, you know, hundreds and hundreds of management associations. Then we started saying, who are typical people that hire us? Well, banks, sales organizations, uh, tech companies. And so you can you can start searching by that way. And then what do we do? We send them the exact same thing. And we have a, a gal from outside the country who's our virtual assistant. She sends all the initial emails for us and makes that first connection. And uh, it's the exact same thing. Thank you so much for connecting. We'd love to know if you, know, you ever bring in outside speakers to your events. Yeah, this is amazing, Chris. I knew it was going to be good. <laughs> I knew it was going to be good. <laughs> You know, this is great. And what I love is that the information, well, I love a couple of things. I really like the fact that though you've been doing it for a while, the strategies that you used, they were the same strategies. Like content is still king. You just happen to be ahead of the curve doing it so early. And so I, I really love that. I also love that you're still thriving, which means the industry is still alive and there are still speakers that are going to be able to make it. And a lot of the folks listening are just starting during this time, but there's still so much opportunity. That's what I tell them all the time. <laughs> so now maybe maybe I want to listen because he has 20 years of experience. He's on the ink list. We have to get me on that list. We'll figure that out. But he's on the ink list. So listen to Chris about these things. There's still opportunity. So Chris, where can we find you, follow you, listen to more of your content, buy your books? Where should we go? Where's your central hub? Uh, well, chriswidener.com is is a great place. Uh, YouTube, you can search Chris Widener for my personal stuff or the Chris Widener Speakers Academy. I've got great interviews there. I've got 45 people who've done a billion dollars in the business. Facebook is Chris Widener Speaker. Uh, pretty pretty easy to find me. Amazon, you can search and consume a lot of stuff there. So. Awesome. And then he mentioned the he has a Speakers Academy. If you go to his page, the chriswidener.com, you just click on that button. You'll It'll take you right to the YouTube page. You can see all of that information there and learn more and connect with him there. Thank you so very much Absolutely. for time for me, I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All right. All right. Wasn't that interview amazing? If you're anything like me, you have pages full of notes. But here's the thing. Before you head out, I want you to go to facebook.com and... 
Join the Speak Your Way to Cash Facebook group. That is where I am. That's where a ton of other speakers are, a ton of other people who listen to the show. All We all congregate there and chat. And it's 100% free. Now, if you're ready to take your speaking career to the next level, I have two ways for you to do that. One, you can go to ashleynicolekirkwood.com slash SYWTC live replay and pick up the live replay. That training is seven modules, chock full of information. It's crazy. Go over there, read all about it. Or if you want a more personal experience, you're already, you already know that you want to be a speaker. You're ready to fully commit and you want someone to walk you through it and save you tons of time Googling and doing it on your own, then book a VIP day with me. You can go to AshleyNicoleKirkwood.com, scroll down until you see the VIP day section and get more information on that there. All right. Thank you guys again for watching. Please do not forget to leave us a review. That is how we keep this train rolling and get some of the best speakers in the world to get on this show. So please, please, please leave a review. Shoot me a message on Facebook or Instagram and Facebook in the Speaker Way to Cash group, Instagram at, at the Ashley Nicole Show. And I'd be more than happy to chat with you and say hi. All right, y'all have an awesome, awesome day.